Hey, Lexi, Alana, did you know that Lady History's merch is now free shipping? I did not. That's so exciting. It's free shipping. It's you mean great. I can get a t-shirt for the exact price it shows on the website without paying any extra money to ship it now? You gotta pay tax, but essentially, yes. Shipping, you don't have to ship and handle. I do the handling. So you're doing all the handling and you're I'm getting on a ship and you're bringing it to me? Or like, what's the situation? USPS is a lovely postal service. The boys in blue. Yep. What the U.S. provides us, um, I go there when it's not snowing. And with the pandemic, if I'm getting groceries, I drop off some lovely packages. Most of them will be in pink, maybe a gray or a light pink envelope. And then you get it. It pops at your front door or your mailbox, wherever you get your mail. Regardless, you will pay. Jeez, I was waiting on ordering because I, I just hate paying to ship oh don't you worry we got you covered <laughs> you even get a lovely handwritten note by me being like hey what's up friend is your autograph on there your good old john hancock we have a lady history autograph now because i do a fun l thing you can sell that when we're it. famous and don't have time to do things by hand so you should order it friends i like our merch a lot i'm just gonna do that shameless plug right there it's so good we should never, ever script an ad ever again. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. As usual, I am here with Lexi. Lexi, how old were you when you discovered feminism? I like 14 on like the tumblers. Ah, uh, yeah, the tumblers. Good times. Bad times. I was being sarcastic. Oh, okay, good. Tumblr's a cesspit. Well, it was. Now I think it's gotten a lot better. And of course, joining us is Haley. Haley, how old were you when you started identifying as a feminist? I don't know. I don't think I've ever like uttered the words I am a feminist, but known in my heart that like just equality. So 23. No, but like I, I was always, I was, I don't know. That's a tough question. Cause I learned what like I, the vocabulary of feminism came into my sphere, middle school, high school, but the introduction was people misusing the word feminism. So I've always never liked the word feminism, but from the youngest of ages, if you go from the like stance of women can do anything, my parents have always been like, you can do anything. Women um, be anything. Women, women be, be anything. anything. Women be anything and everything. Even hummus. You know, I'm a block of feta. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Alana and I want to wish all Terps a very shut the fuck up. Can you explain what a turf is? Because I feel like if my, some of my parents, i.e. my, my parents, parents. <laughs> parents, if they ever so, listen and they hear the word turf, they're going to think of a wait, soccer turf. My grandma had to Google merch when we announced that we had merch. And so, that's cool. okay. So no, we so probably, a turf, we do you want me to redo up. it so that I say what a turf no, is? No, just I'll do the cut. And then now let's explain turf so that like my okay. grandma who had to Google merch so, knows what the term is. Got it. 
So TERF is T-E-R-F, and it stands for Trans-Exclusionary Radical Feminist. And it's people who, like, equate womanhood with vaginas and, like, being able to menstruate, which is something I saw on J.K. Rowling's Twitter once. It was, like, someone in the headline used well, the Well, she's, phrase. like, head TERF of all the TERFs. Oh, yeah, she is she's, head TERF. She's the queen of the TERFs. <laughs> she's the queen of the TERFs. Um, but someone in the headline was, like, had used people who menstruate instead of it like had just used that in the headline and jk rowling retweeted it and was like people who menstruate but do you mean women and i looked at that and i was like jk rowling is gonna go through menopause and have a goddamn crisis that's exactly what i was thinking yeah she's gonna have a crisis what's gonna happen you texted the group chat and you're like i think you said she's gonna have a goddamn crisis but i I remember seeing that on the one of the days i go on twitter and I thought back to the time in like high school where I just didn't have my period for months. You ceased year. to be a woman at the time. And I just like, I guess like wasn't a woman. It's okay. I'm okay with that. Some people, some <laughs> cisgender women uh, don't get periods for any number of reasons. Oh, menopause, you're going to have a crisis. That's so some crazy. Menopause, she's going to have a crisis. And aren't women. Imagine equating women with their reproductive av- ability like a misogynist does i've ceased to exist listen you get menopause <laughs> apparently according to these people you cease to be woman i yeah. cease to be woman cease to exist on this you just, universal you like plane when thanos snaps and like you got thanos snapped <laughs> if you got thanos snapped and you're just like not a woman anymore <laughs> <laughs> you turn into a kendall like there's no <laughs> you kendall's can be woman kendall's can be woman but you just turn into one. It's un. <laughs> you turn into a plastic thing. Can that be you no a T-shirt now? Thanos snapped the woman doll. out of me. <laughs> it's that and um. It's that and a la Cunnilingus styles, which is a reference to a Patreon episode. So everyone sign up for the Patreon. Um, oh my god! Wait, now I'm picturing the the, the woman's soul getting sucked out your mouth. <laughs> like like it goes, <laughs> no, it blows behind you because when Thanos snapped, <laughs> everything like blew behind. So the woman is just like leaving and you're just you, like, there apparently i know you two have issues with the phrase or i know that's what we talked about before is yeah that you've like which is why we with. aren't going to title this episode the waves of feminism but we still don't know yet as of recording what we're going to call it it's just a but like i think you said you had a problem with describing them as waves yeah because that implies an ebb and flow does it not yeah no i agree I think it's an overall confusing way to categorize feminism. Because waves ultimately end. Right, right, like waves happen for a brief moment and then they disappear. And it's also very U.S. way of describing how history works. That it's like segmented chunks of events. It's like timeline, like... And that's Things not happen how history and stop is. And happen and also, stop. Western feminism a lot of times looks different than Eastern feminism. Yes. Truth tea, honey. And, well, here's the other thing. Here's my other problem with it, just to get it out of the way. Saying that there's waves of feminism implies that there's a singular, like, the feminism. But, like, a lot of people we associate with first wave feminism were racist. Mm-hmm. And a lot of modern feminists, not all of them, obviously, some some don't, but some are, um, you know, many of them are intersectional feminists who believe that fighting racism is, you know, part of fighting sexism. So to call it one movement is like yeah. also 
Life I be think, complicated. I think there's value in calling it waves of feminism personally, only because like I totally agree with everything you're saying, but I think it's in theory they all had the same general idea in mind. Like yeah. women be equal. Yes. And that's what they were going off even, of. But I think like every, not even for first wave which I'll kind of talk well but so that's what I'm saying is that each wave kind of fought for some like in theory they were like women have same rights as man yeah Yeah. that's the basic principle that makes it all that makes it it happen like that but I think each wave in air quotes is like because they fought for different things even though they all kind of but even segmenting because that's the other problem with segmenting by year just because it turned to 1960 doesn't mean exactly someone who was thinking of something last year stopped thinking it's about not it. waves isn't like is not a great term but i think it's a helpful educational tool because it's to a be helpful fair, educational tool when be like for teaching, effort, be for and it effort. makes it easier right. to conceptualize right like if you're telling if you're telling a group of high schoolers very introductory like first ever understanding i'm thinking it's like a river yes river i like the river feminism. of feminism and then title. each like episode air quotes, title river of a river of feminism yeah that's it. i like that and then like each wave air quote wave is like a tributary that right that goes into, into the, the rocks this- you got the rocks and you have to move over the fucking rocks. you gotta move over the fucking rocks and then you're riding in one of those what do you call them a kayak? Canoes? No, the big round one. Rafts? A tube? Whitewater rafting. Yeah, yeah rafts. Rafting. Yeah. You're riding one of those. And you're going through the topsy-turvy turns and, and the different tributaries. sometimes you get a life jacket. Different... Sometimes they say swim, motherfucker. Yeah. And you just gotta Sometimes gotta it do. overfloods. And sometimes there's barely any water there. Anyway, so I think I fixed the metaphor. <laughs> you there you it. go. You fixed <laughs> it. <laughs> fixed feminism we solved feminism <laughs> we did it we did right it here on lady history ladies and gentlemen we got him we got him <laughs> got him that's my favorite meme i hate the military industrial complex but that's my favorite meme so like i live i live i'm a dichotomy <laughs> the duality like, of the duality of woman <laughs> duality of woman warning about this following story it does contain a reference to a white supremacist hate group so you may feel free to skip this story if if that's gonna make you uncomfortable thank you so if you guys follow us on instagram you may have seen that we had a reel that like sort of blew up like we've had some blow up more but this one blew up a little anyway so if you saw that that was a preview that was a sneaky snook a hint because i knew i was going to cover this lady and i was sneaking in the hint for you guys so there was a hint in episode 16 as well we're gonna get into that she was she was mentioned on a previous episode as part of another story i will weave that into this narrative so you know where to find it if you want more deets florence ray kennedy was a feminist activist lawyer lecturer and civil rights advocate she played a role in the black panther movement and served as a role model for young women in college who saw a better life for themselves during the era she was active she believed in intersectionality and this shaped her activism When she was three, her family was threatened to leave their home, even though they owned the house where they lived. Racists in the area told them it was a white-only neighborhood and a Black family could not live there. A group of white men suggested things would turn violent if they didn't leave. Her father armed himself with a shotgun to protect the family from the local KKK. I think this event stuck with Flo. 
because it seems like it impacted her work in the future. I think she wanted to make sure things changed so that no family would ever go through something like that again. In 1948, she was rejected from Columbia Law School despite having fabulous grades in her pre-law undergraduate program at Columbia for undergrad. The dean told her she wasn't rejected for being black, she was rejected for being a woman. It's it's like either way like, it's bad, bruh. No shame for being an ass. So she didn't like that very much, obviously. And so she prepared for battle. I mean, she got ready. Like she prepared paperwork and like got dressed up and like really was very serious about this. And she went to meet with the dean and she entered the office with confidence and grace. Like the accounts say that she just like basically walked in there with so much confidence even though this dean had like told her off, she was like ready to like take him down. She threatened to sue the school for discrimination and presented the evidence she had because she studied pre-law for four years. So obviously she had like some knowledge about law. So she knew what she was looking for. And so the dean admitted her because he didn't want to deal with the lawsuit. There were other women in the law school. I think eight is the number that I saw. So there were eight women in her law class but she was the only black woman in the program. So I will leave you to decide whether the Dean was lying or not in the beginning. It's up to you. Flo opened up her own law office after she finished law school. And she also began a career acting, including working alongside Morgan Freeman in a film called Who Says I Can't Ride a Rainbow? And I will link her IMDB in the show notes in case you're curious about what other things she was in. And I just think that's amazing because I know some lady lawyers in my life and they are busy. I don't think they'd have time to act. I don't know how this woman did it. I don't think she slept. In the late 70s, Gloria Steinman and Flo Kennedy went on a lecture tour sharing their feminist ideas in the National Organization of Women, going around getting people to do feminism. Flo was also a co-founder of the National Black feminist organization because she didn't like that there were some people who were doing feminism that didn't include black women and she was like yo hold on include black women in your feminism and you know what there are still feminists out there today who don't include black women in their feminism and this is a PSA to include black women in your feminism thank you thank you for coming to my TED talk she also founded the feminist party which was a political party that focused on women's rights so I would like to see some elected officials from the feminist party yes please at protests, Flo was usually seen rocking a cowboy hat, pink sunglasses, and red nail polish, which is iconic, fabulous, a look. She was known to advocate for Black rights, women's rights, and advocate against interventionalist military actions. Like, so for example, the Vietnam War was an action where war was not declared, but the U.S. participated in an interventional capacity. She was like, don't do that. Um, so she advocated against that. And one of the notable protests she was a part of is the 1968 Miss America protest, which I talked about in our Misconceptions episode, and fabulous, fabulous protest. According to Smithsonian Magazine's article on this protest, Flo chained herself to a puppet of Miss America to highlight the ways women were enslaved by beauty standards. I mentioned this in the other episode, but I thought I'd drop it here so that you guys who might not listen to the other one know what she did because that's pretty that's pretty funky she was an artist i'm gonna say that in 1973 she led her most iconic protest performance the harvard peon and this is why i love her this is it this is the protest that just makes me like i'm obsessed with it this is the one that the haters called gross the protest started because in 1973 harvard began allowing women to take admissions exams and prior to this women who 
air quotes, attended Harvard, actually attended Radcliffe, a separate school, and were just permitted to sit in on Harvard classes. So I cannot believe this, but it took until 1973 for women to actually go to Harvard, which is crazy because other schools were already very co-ed by this point. The protesters, they poured yellow liquid, which symbolized their pee that they were holding in during the exams, down the steps of the Lowell Lecture Hall. So the exams were held in Lowell Lecture Hall, which had no women's restrooms. So that's why it was a pee-in. And because women had to travel to a different building to pee during mid-test break, they lost 15 minutes on the exam because they took longer to come back and they just started the test without them and let the men start the test. So their choices were like, hold it, run, or lose time on your entrance exam. The applicants were frustrated, rightfully so, and that's why they enlisted Flo to assist them. So by this point, um, Flo was already really, really famous for being a feminist activist. She'd done things like the Miss America protest. She really had a name for herself in doing this intersectional feminist advocacy. And so the girls at Harvard were like, Flo, we need your help. And even though Flo was really busy and doing all sorts of advocacy and law at the time, she thought that no like fight for justice was too small. And so she was like, I'm gonna go help those girls get into Harvard because I want women to go to Harvard. And so Flo came and helped them. And during her visit to Harvard, Flo addressed the crowd and said this, if you had to give the world an enema, you would put it in Harvard Yard. This has got to be the asshole of the world. Now I want that on a t-shirt. That's fabulous. I mean, I, I laughed so hard my computer reminded me I was muted. Like now Harvard has many women's and it's, so, it's good that they has the women's. But that's hilarious. And I'm obsessed with that. And that's exactly how I feel about the fact that they like circumvented being co-ed. At the end of the pee-in, she said, let the Dean of Harvard be warned. Unless Lowell Hall gets a room for women so that women taking exams don't have to hold it in, run across the street, or waste time deciding whether to pee or not to pee. Next year, we will be back doing the real thing. Shakespeare Hooms. Yeah, I know. It's fabulous. IDK him. <laughs> in, in 1977, Harvard's admissions um, became sex blind and more women began to be admitted to the university. I would have just gone in the men's restroom. I'm not even kidding. Like, no cap. But yeah, so they would have done real pee if Harvard hadn't done anything. But I guess we'll never get to see the day real pee gets poured down the stairs. I think they should reenact this event. Like, all the women at Harvard should reenact this every year with the fake pee, with the yellow liquid. As long as it's like eco-friendly yellow liquid, like it's like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not chemicals. Like tea would be chill. Maybe it's got fertilizer. So it's like, there's a reason we're pouring it down the steps into the, into the yard. Turmeric water. Ooh. It doesn't harden the ecosystem. I think this is the first wave of feminism, but now we're going by rivers and pebbles. So we're hitting the first gosh darn bucket of pebbles on our river. My yow today is Elizabeth Caddy Stanton. And before I start, I have to do a quick shout out to the American Bookbinders Museum because it's where I had the opportunity to research her. And I had a lot of the like notes already bookmarked and saved from my internship. And I did for her research as an author in, a f in the field of like printing newspapers and such. What it's actually going to be about is this NPR article called For Stanton, All Women Were Not Created Equal. And this kind of is going to follow the line where I did, I, 
another episode where I just highlighted this article that I liked, obviously going to be in the show notes. And I really like this article because it also had like not only images, but an audio clip, like a six minute audio. So if you, if you're more of a listening type human, that's how you get your information. I know I put on NPR when I get up in the morning and get dressed and such. So this article is highlighting where groups of women, including Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who are fighting for women's rights in the 19th century, but there's a divide of what women's rights should actually be in a sense. So in this case, it was women's rights should really be for white women. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton was really involved in the women's right to vote, white women to vote. And per Lexi's TED talk, no. For example, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and fellow activist Susan B. Anthony, who's more of a recognizable name than Elizabeth, I would say, believe that these rights should be focused on white women. In the words of historian Lori D. Ginsburg, whose book was highlighted in this article, and she was kind of interviewed, so she was quoted saying, Stanton is well known for her involvement in the women's rights movement. She often got in the way of that cause by prioritizing the concerns of middle-class white women over others. She continued to say that this prioritization had lasting effects in the way we think about feminism, identity in politics today. And just like side note tangent, this rift actually that she kind of alludes to kind of made getting to that 19th amendment take a lot longer because instead of all these groups of women's rights activists, activism, uh, protests, like leaders like Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Delilah Beasley, who we've covered in another episode, it just took longer because they are part of the time they were fighting or they were going at it from two different ends of the spectrum of saying, oh, us in this um, activism group are doing X, Y, and Z. And while the other activism group had the same methods or same end goal of getting women's rights to vote, they weren't going X, Y, Z, they were going ABC. And it just took longer. So this article, which also I want to give to like a shout out to NPR, And also hopefully what I say with my story along with it doesn't diminish what the suffragists or activists did. Like Elizabeth Cady Stanton, they said, yes, she she was a voice in this movement. She did help women's rights get established, um, especially for like marriage law and equality. However, even a little bit of racism is still racism. So it's saying like, not two wrongs make a right. She didn't like X out being like, oh, she did such great things for women's rights. It excludes her from being racist. No, it's highlighting both sides of her, which is what our history books should do. And people are complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, As the NPR called it, on the women Elizabeth Cady Stanton really fought for, she was a well-educated woman and put those skills to use by writing and lecturing about women's rights to vote. She married abolitionist lecturer Henry Stanton, which is not important other than the fun fact that she refused to say the word obey in her vows. I don't like the, like the traditional wedding vows. So for me, that was fun. Another way he was helpful was that she was able to meet abolitionist Lucretia Mott on their honeymoon in London. And because of that friendship and like eight short years later, in 1848, Stanton and Mott held the first women's rights convention at Seneca Falls, New York. So like she was married, not important, maybe a little important. 
That same year, she did a lot of advocating and urging of Congress to pass acts like the New York Married Women's Pr Property Act. And remember that rift I talked about? Um, that one, and she and Anthony posed the 14th and 15th Amendments, that dumb little moment of their lives. They ended up forming the National Women's Suffrage Association in 1869, and Stanton wrote and edited a journal that was associated with it called The Revolution. And this was kind of their realization of like, okay, we might not agree with them, like bygones be bygones, which really like you still thought that white women were better than black women, so hush. But this was their way of like mending that bond because they realized that if they didn't mend this bond, it, they just weren't gonna get the uh, 19th amendment passed and women's voting rights were just gonna take longer. Later in life, and I'm talking about like 65 years old and older, she really focused on writing rather than her usual convention travel circuit. It was in this time that she wrote three volumes of the history of women's suffrage and with Anthony and Matilda Gosling Gage, the women's Bible, and then eight years and more, which was her autobiography. I actually, I think found all of these books on Project Gutenberg, which was like a free platform for books. Also, they were all written before like copyright laws. So a lot of them have them on PDF. So these will be in the show notes. And also another fun fact that I learned was like in a lot of her lectures and stuff, she referred to God as a female. She'd always use like female pronouns when referring God to God. God is a woman. Yeah, and that's her. The pronoun for God is God. Yeah. I follow a rabbi, uh, her name is Rabbi Dania. Rutenberg? I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Um, Rabbi Daniel Rutenberg, and she's like, uh, the pronoun for God is God, and assigning pronouns to God is idolatry. Let me rephrase this. And I Historians like, say that she um, assigned pronouns to God and referred to God as like female. Oh, interesting. Read, That's like, just how I lectures. feel. That's just how I feel about God because I think Rabbi Daniel makes a really good point. Rabbi Daniel, do you want to listen to the podcast? Rabbi Daniel, do you want to come on the podcast? The lectures I like read hey, were like her Twitter DMs. Rabbi Daniel, come on the podcast. I love you so much. Um, I just I think you're we're really from cool. like the Smithsonian because they have a lot of like the suffragist stuff, and then reading like history accounts of people analyzing more of her primary source documents said that she referred to God as a female. So does everyone remember in episode 12 when I said that I wanted to do an episode on pre-first wave feminism just so that I could talk about Mary Wollstonecraft? Do you remember that? Is today the day? Dreams do come true, kids, because today I am talking about Mary Wollstonecraft. Mary Wollstonecraft was born on April 27, 1759, a Taurus in London. She was the second of seven children and the oldest girl, which will come into play a little bit later. Um, her grandfather was very rich, but her father had basically squandered most of his inheritance. So only Mary's older brother, Ned, got to go to school and get a formal education. And Mary took that personally, dot, dot, dot. In 1778, she was a lady's companion, and I have no idea what the fuck that means. I think I know what that means. Can from, you explain it to me? Because I don't know. This is from like little women and being really interested in that history time phase. Companion could have been like you, like um, really old 
rich woman, instead of going to a nursing home, would have a companion to take care of her. Not necessarily a nurse, but like someone to go read to her, like make sure like the cleaning was done and such. Like, you know how Joe was to like uh, Aunt March? Sure. Okay. He was that like her sense. companion. And they make a lot of references that like, oh, I've stayed by Aunt March like all this time. I'm going to get her inheritance and stuff. So not all those companionships were like, write me into your will, but it was um, a cross between friend and nurse. That okay. makes more sense. Thank you. That actually, that helped me. Thank you. So she did that for a bit in Bath. That was definitely the vibe I got from reading about it. I was like, but what does this actually mean? It just means but, you have like an elderly friend and you hang out with them, take care of them. Make that's sure they're nice. not lonely. But Mary had to return to London in 1780 when her mother got sick. Uh, Mary was her nurse, but her mother still died the next year. The next tragedy came in 1783 when Mary convinced her sister Eliza to leave her abusive husband and newborn baby to go into hiding with her and the the baby ended up dying. Good news, though, because the year after that, Mary, Eliza, and Mary's best friend, Fanny Blood, which is a tragic name to have in the UK. Oh, God. Oh, that is... That's a double whammy. It is a bad name to have in the UK. Oof. The biggest oof. Anyways, they started a school. But the school only lasted a year because Fanny got married and moved to Portugal in 1785. And Mary abandoned the school that November to help Fanny, who was sick and pregnant, and both Fanny and the baby died. Mary was broke and forced to be a governess in Ireland for a lord and lady's two daughters, which was a position that Mary hated. And then in 1787, she returned to London and met a radical publisher named Joseph Johnson, who employed her as an assistant and actually published some of her writing, which is really cool. Just going to jump over to France for a bit for some context for the next one. There is a revolution, a Bruin over there at this point. And in 1790, English philosopher Edmund Burke published something that is not important, but basically he was like, a French revolution is not, no, is not good. It's not going to be good. And Mary was like, actually, no, fuck that. Revolution happening will be important. Uh, and she published A Vindication of the Rights of Men. And then in 1792, Mary was like, actually, I got more to say. And she published, can you guess the title? Women. A Vindication of the Rights of Women. Close enough. The British Library has a full copy of A Vindication of the Rights of Women on their like website. So you can actually like read it and that will be in further learning. Mary left for Paris in 1793 and met an American named Gilbert Imlay with whom she fell madly in love and they had a child in 1794 named Fanny after Mary's dead best friend. But they never got married because Imlay was having an affair outside of Mary and just outright rejected her. Hello there. Quick trigger warning for suicide. So maybe skip forward a few seconds. Mary returned to London, distraught, depressed, and attempted suicide by throwing herself into the Thames River from Putney Bridge, but a boat passed and saved her. In 1796, she sort of like re-met a man named William Godwin. They had previously met in 1791 at a party hosted by Mary's old boss, Joseph Johnson, and they'd been like acquaintances. William was actually kind of like found Mary kind of irritating at the time. Uh, William Godwin was also a radical philosopher and the two ended up falling in love. 
when Mary was pregnant, again, she insisted on getting married, even though William was really opposed to marriage as a concept. But I think Mary was just like, nope, not making that mistake twice. So they did get married. But if you remember from episode 12, when I talked about Mary Shelley, Mary Wollstonecraft died about 10 days after giving birth to Mary because a surgeon performed the delivery when Mary really wanted a midwife to do it. And the surgeon fucked up. So Mary died in, uh, Mary Wollstonecraft died in 1797, 10 days after the birth of her daughter, also named Mary. And for more on Mary Shelley, listen to episode 12, The Lady History Library. It's one of my favorite stories I've ever told, as is this one. Original goth babe. Original goth babe. And her mom. That's all I have to say. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode will be on ladyhistorypod.com. You can buy our merch there too. If you like the show, leave us a review or tell your friends. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Lexi B. Draws. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. week on Lady History, we're checking out another book of the Lady History Library with the Authors 2.0. Guess what? We're on Patreon. Tiers start at just $1 a month. And we have three of them. Become a brilliant backer for $1. Find out early about new merch and ticketed events and get access to our monthly newsletter. Support our show by becoming a confident contributor for $4 a month. In addition to the benefits from the previous tier, you get access to our Discord community and one bonus episode every Sunday. Or lastly, prove that you love us the most by becoming a sensational super fan for $7. In addition to the benefits from the previous tiers, get access to a monthly interactive live stream with one of us and get the power to decide future Lady History content by voting. Join our community and help us keep the show running at patreon.com slash ladyhistorypod. Woohoo, we did it.